drinking Chateauneuf de Pop in the back of a bus, having dinner with ACDC's lead singer, and Grandma's Pasta Sauce. This week, we're in Tuscany with Paul Cullen, the former bassist for Bad Company, who is now an acclaimed chef and sommelier. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Get Destination Eat Drink delivered right to your phone or computer by subscribing at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or at radiomisfits.com. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Back in the 90s, Paul Cullen was living the dream. He was a rock star playing bass for the band Bad Company. But when that ended, he had to reinvent himself. These days, he spends his time as a chef and sommelier, traveling from his home base on the shore of Delaware all over the country to cook for folks. And a couple of times a year, Paul hosts excursions to Italy. In fact, he's heading back to Tuscany for a week to host guests in a Tuscan villa where they will explore the countryside and visit some of Paul's favorite spots for food and wine. So let's talk music and food with Paul Cullen. Destination Eat Drink. With me today is Paul Cullen. He is a sommelier, a chef, and the former bassist for the rock band Bad Company. Paul, welcome to Destination Eat Drink. Brent, thank you so much for having me. Paul, before we talk food and wine, let's talk music, because you famously played bass for the rock band Bad Company in the 90s, but a gig like that doesn't just happen. How did you get started in music? Well, um, I actually got a late start. Uh, I was a uh, athlete in high school. And after I graduated high school, my parents uh, moved from Buffalo, New York down to Florida. And uh, I helped them open a business. So while I was down there helping them opening up a dry cleaning business, I found out one thing for sure. I didn't want to be in the dry cleaning business. <laughs> and then uh, and then I and I went with my uh, my first love, which was music. Uh, even though I never played an instrument, I was always the uh, the guy that everybody went to to like, hey, who's the new who's the new band we need to listen to? And and I hate to say back then it was who's the new eight track we have to get. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, I, so I was always into music and, you know, I had a chance to sit back after high school and then working for my parents and go, Hey, what do I want to do? And I wanted to play guitar, you know? So I went and bought a guitar and, uh, just happened to be at this one party and, uh, and this, uh, guitar teacher was there, Stacy Boyd. He, uh, was talking to him about taking lessons. He was like, yeah, I'll give you lessons, dude, but you really need to play bass. I'm like, no, no, I want to play guitar, you know, a rock and roll guitar. I'm like, he goes, no, listen to this dude. His name's Jaco Pastorius. And, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. The one and only. And, uh, man, I listened to that album and I couldn't stop listening to it. He, he was just, he just it took bass to a whole nother level, you know, and, uh, and so, you know what, the next day I went out and bought a bass and, uh, within six months of practicing my butt off, I was playing country music, you know, playing six nights a week, making double what I was making in the dry cleaning business. And, uh, and I was off and running and for 10 years, I was all over the place, including Alaska. Uh, after playing bass for three years, I was in a band called the kids and we were in Alaska playing up in Anchorage. In fact, you're being uh, from Hawaii. That that's how they got us to go to Alaska. They said, "Hey, man, we'll get you to go to Alaska for three months, and we have a club in Hawaii." We're like, "Okay." 
We'll go to Alaska if Hawaii's involved. Yeah, and then you know, but you know, like halfway through our gig in Alaska, because it was three months at the same place, um, he goes, "Yeah, sorry, man, that club closed in Hawaii." We're like, "Oh, that sucks." <laughs> <laughs> and now we're stuck in Alaska. Although I'm sure yeah. Alaska's beautiful, but it know. was gorgeous. It was it was awesome. I was 23, man. I mean, we we were all young guys. We loved to ski and we loved to play rock and roll, and you know, we just had a blast. I mean, you know, and then. You know, I played in bands all over the country. I ended up back down in Fort Myers, Florida, and uh, and played in a band called The Boys of Summer. And we had a hit song, or not a hit song. We had a song being played on the local rock station, uh, 97 Rock, and um, called Little Black Book. We were kind of the local, you know, pet band. You know, uh, whenever um, you know a national act came through and they needed a, an opening act, they would uh, throw us up on stage. So we got we got some good exposure with that, and it just happened to be the bass player from ACDC, Cliff. The singer, Brian from ACDC, and the sure. singer at that time from Bad Company, Brian, was uh, living there. So those guys got to be, um, you know, regulars at our at our gigs. In fact, especially when we played, like, open up for Ario Speedwagon, you know, both Brian's, you know, showed up and sat in and played a song with us, you know. So so I got in that circle of uh, rock stars, if you want to call it that. And, uh, you know, and I ended up being great friends with the bass player from ACDC, Cliff Williams, and uh and uh, I spent a lot of time with him partying and hanging out and and uh, and also playing golf with Brian Johnson from ACDC. So so what I found out on on that level is that they were just cool guys, man. They just happened to be, you know, playing in, you know, major rock bands and basically millionaires. So Brian Johnson, let me let me just stop you right there, because this yeah. is an image that I am having trouble uh, wrapping my mind around. <laughs> Brian Johnson is a golfer. Oh, he loved it. <laughs> yeah. Him and his wife, Brenda. And uh, anytime that like Brian was on the road, I'd always get a call because they always needed a fourth. You know, I go play with his wife, Brenda. But no, Brian and Brian's an excellent chef uh, cook. Also, in fact, he specializes in Indian food, really? which makes total sense, because if you live in England, that's pretty much what you eat is yes. England, Indian food. So that's where I learned to love it, too. It's, in fact, other than Italian, it, it is my favorite other food, maybe Indian and Thai are my two uh, favorite other uh, ethnic foods. So, uh, yeah, so Brian was super cool. He had me and my ex-wife over for dinner and, you know, we walk into the penthouse of his condo where he was living at the time and I could smell Indian food and, and, uh, he, you know, I'm thinking like, man, he's probably got like some really rocking music on. He's playing like Billie Holiday and Patsy <laughs> Cline. And nice. I was like, dude, you are, you're even cooler than I thought I told him, you know, and he loved that, you know? Sure. So, uh, so it was cool. I got, so basically I got in that circle, um, uh, got invited to Christmas parties and, you know, uh, Cliff from ACDC had a, a recording studio. We ended up remixing Little Black Book, our song, at his studio. So I just got in that circle. So the job for Bad Company came up. And uh, unbeknownst to me, about six months before that, the singer from Bad Company, the producer, Terry Thomas, who produced Holy Water and a bunch of albums in that time period, and a couple of friends, they they came out and they were secretly checking me out at a, at a bar I was playing at. Uh, in fact, it was a club that uh, Jimmy Connors, the tennis player, used to own. Okay. Um, yeah, so I didn't know they were actually there to check me out. So when the gig came up, you know, I got a call from uh, Brian, the singer from Bad Company, and, you know, um, you know, he said, hey, you know, how would you like to, you know, audition for Bad Company? And I had no idea up until that point, you know. Of course, in my cool voice, I said, hey, that'd be great. But I I was jumping up and down like, no way, freaking yeah. Bad Company, you know, so. In your brain, you're like that 14-year-old kid who was listening to Bad Company on the radio going, hell yeah. And then the cool story is I, I just, in fact, somebody just posted this uh, on Facebook. Uh, uh, I saw Bad Company in 1976 uh, in Niagara Falls, New York. 
and it was Kansas and Bad Company, and I was a big Kansas fan. And uh, so I actually went there to see Kansas more than Bad Company. But uh, but anyways, they were both great. And you know, and if somebody would have said back then I was 16 years old, hey, dude, you're going to play in that band in, in 14 years, I would have said, are you high? <laughs> <laughs> of course we were. Right. It was 1976. We were at a rock concert. You of know? course. So, uh, so yeah, so within um, – Five weeks from the phone call, I had gone to uh, audition to England uh, and got the job right away and then came back, flew to L.A., did the video, uh, Holy Water, uh, which is on my website, and then uh, then off and running to Burlington, Vermont to rehearse for the tour. And within five weeks from the phone call, I was playing in front of six or 8,000 people in Burlington, Vermont. It was a whirlwind. You know, in, in those days in the early 90s when you were in Bad Company, they were playing good sized basketball arenas, you know, the, I, I looked up the, I looked up the venues you guys were playing. They were 10, 12,000 seaters. What was the rock and roll lifestyle like back in the early nineties? You know, you got plucked, kind of plucked out of Florida and boom, landed right in the middle of this thing. Yeah. So I always heard about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think there was that term, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. Um, well, the, it, it, it didn't disappoint me. I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> It, it was amazing, you know. I mean, other than just the, uh, you know, the the partying and the the uh, extra benefits that you get from being, in a, you know, in a rock band like that, you know, just the pure joy of playing on stage in front of, you know, you know, anywhere from six to fifty five thousand people, you know, and uh, you know, every night was an adventure, and they were such great musician musicians. Uh, uh, Simon Kirk on drums. Here I am playing with Simon Kirk, and him telling me that, you know, after we listened to a a version of moving on that, that I played on live, you know, um, he said that was the best that song has ever been played, you know? And then of course, Mick Ralphs, you know, one of the most iconic and amazing guitar players, maybe even didn't get his due due, uh, you know, as far as how good he actually is, you know? Um, so it was, it was a joy every night to jam with those guys. And it was, it was a great musical, musical experience. What I did learn from it is how to listen I mean, I always kind of did, but uh, but how to listen, how to react, because even though we're playing in front of 16,000 people, there's always room to jam, you know, and, and and Mick would just go off. He was so confident. He'd just go off in another direction and start playing a Led Zeppelin song ah. in the middle of Bad Company, and we'd all go with him, you know, so it was, it was amazing. You know, the respect you get, of course, the money was sick. It's kind of like validation for me, you know, it, at one point, you know, I got to go back and play my favorite gig ever probably was uh, in Buffalo. Um, and I played where the Buffalo Sabres played in front of 16,000 people. And that was my first hometown gig ever. Cause you know, I said, I learned how to play down in Florida, right? Not right. in New York. So I got to play that gig. It was magical. I mean, that, that whole day from when we landed at 10 in the morning till I went to sleep at seven the next morning, you know, it was, uh, it was incredible. You know, it was, you know, that validation that I was just mentioning was, was part of that gig is, you know, my family and my friends, you know, were like, you know, the, everybody that wanted me to get a day job up until I joined Bad Company were all going, Hey, you got it. You got the job, dude. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was incredible that by far probably the highlight of my life in my career was that night in Buffalo. You mentioned Paul that, uh, Mick Ralphs would occasionally 
fly off into a Led Zeppelin riff. Um, maybe people don't know this, but Bad Company was, I don't know, discovered is the right word, but they were signed initially to Led Zeppelin's Swan Song label. Uh, Jimmy Page was a big fan. I'm sure he knew those guys. Did you ever cross paths with any of the Led Zeppelin guys during your time in Bad Company? Oh, oh yeah, for sure. They're all intertwined. You know, Peter Grant was the manager of, of uh, Led Zeppelin, and and he and uh, Jimmy Page had everything to do with Bad Company getting put together. So if you think about it, Bad Company might have been one of the first super groups, maybe other than Cream, uh, where they plucked guys from different bands. You know, Simon and Paul Rogers came from Free. You know, Mick came from Mount the Hoople. And a lot of people don't know about Boz Burrell, but he came from King Crimson. Right. Yeah, so that what a cool mix that was. So really, you know, to pick a band for me to play in on that level, I, that, that was a pretty good band because Boz was a really, really good bass player. And he set the tone melodically and rhythmically, um, you know, that I think was kind of overlooked also. You know, so I really, really enjoyed playing his bass lines. Nice. Yeah, so Bad Company, they were intertwined because of uh, the the record Swan Song, Peter Grant. Um, so I got to meet those guys. I actually partied with Jason Bonham quite often. Uh, and, uh, and, and you know, he was an amazing player. In fact, I saw it was in 2012 he actually played with Zeppelin, you know, as the drummer, which I thought was brilliant. At the O2 arena at yep. the reunion, which was, I mean, that is, was a magnificent show. Unbelievable. I, I still get chills when I, when I listen to it and when I think about it, I mean, that, that was Led Zeppelin. I mean, how, how else could you, could somebody pass away, the drummer pass away, and then they go back on stage all those years later and sound just as good as they did ever. And it's because it was this, it was Jason, the son playing drums. It was Incredible. One of my most favorite music moments I've ever seen on TV. Since your life is a professional, well, I don't want to say professional musician, but since your time in Bad Company, you have reinvented yourself now as a sommelier, as a chef. And I find when I talk to musicians, a lot of times I ask them, how did you originally get into wine? And a lot of them tell me this, and you'll tell me your answer, Paul, but a lot of them tell me it was when we were on the road because we could go out to eat, we had the money, and we could you know, kind of learn about wine and stuff like that. Tell me your story about how you got into wine. Well, for sure. You know, I'm a, I'm a, my mom was full-blooded Italian, so my last name's Cullen. My, my dad was Irish, but Talia Ferro was my mom's maiden name. So <clears throat> I've been drinking really bad Chianti since I was 10 years old because <laughs> that's the kind my grandfather bought, you know, in a jug. And, uh, um, and now I really appreciate Chianti, Chianti Classico and Brunello's, you know, it's the same grape, except it wasn't in a jug. Right. Um, so really, truly, um, Mick Ralphs and I, uh, we were doing an overnighter. Mick didn't like to fly. So the other guys would fly. It'd be like a couple of, of a couple of us on the bus and we recorded every night on cassette and we'd sit in the back of the bus and doing an overnighter and uh, listen to some, uh, listen to the board tape and kind of go, Hey, maybe we can do this here. We can do that there. And, and then one night he goes, Hey, do you like, um, do you like wine? I said, well, I don't know if I've really had good wine. He goes, have you ever had Chateauneuf de Pop? And I oh. said, Chat the, what the, what the pop, what? <laughs> so I tell you what, we popped that bottle and I was in wine heaven and uh, we actually drank two of them, just me and him together that night. We were, we were partying pretty hard, but, uh, but, yeah, so that kind of turned me on to it. And then uh, anytime we went out to dinner, he was always buying a good bottle of French wine. Every once in a while, 
you know, he'd pull out a Barolo or a Brunello from Italy and, sure. you know, he was really into wine. And, uh, so that really got me started. And, you know, I, I guess I didn't know then, you know, cause I was busy rocking and rolling that that would be a huge part of my life now, you know? And, uh, so yeah, that's how it started. Mick on the back of the bus drinking a French Chateauneuf de Pop. What a way to start. What a, what an introduction Chateauneuf de Pop. <laughs> I know exactly. It's still, I still have such a, such a warm place in my heart for that wine. Whenever I get one for a present, everybody knows that's one of my favorites. So I, you know, when, when Christmas and my birthday comes around, I, I get a few bottles of it. So, uh, as you probably probably know too uh, from my website we host vacations uh, and our first vacation we hosted was in 2014 it was Rome to Barcelona I uh, know Rome to Lisbon and one of our stops was Marseille France so I said my travel agent said do you want to go to any region in France you know for a, a day trip I said hell yeah I want to go to Chateauneuf they pop so it was it was heaven. That that day was pure heaven. Uh, we got to go all the way out there and uh, and went to Avignon, the, the town that's close to there. And but it was great. I, I have a great picture of me with you know the Chateauneuf they pop sign, and and I got a really big smile. That's for sure. <laughs> we went there a couple years ago, and the village of Chateauneuf de Pop is glorious. And uh, they also have they also have a nice little wine museum there. And I just encourage everyone to go there. I mean, the wines are expensive, of course, but it's so worth it. And you can find values there when you travel there. But this region of France is just absolutely spectacular. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, right across the the river, you can get the same similar style of wine, and it's about a third of the price. Uh, but you know, but it's great though. You know, we we got to take people up there, and in fact, the the producer's name was Paul Coulon, but it was spelled a little different than Cullen. So <laughs> you're like, hey, Paisan. Hey, Paisan. He's like, no, I don't know you. I'm like, okay. I said, how about Bad Company? He said, no, nah, not so much. And no, anyway, so. But uh, but it was it was great. That's great. Now you mentioned the vacations that you uh, that you host. You go yeah. to. You've done a, several of them. Um, the one you have coming up, you're doing a Tuscan villa. Talk about Tuscany and its importance to you, and some of your favorite places to go in Tuscany. Well, you know, Tuscany is just it, it. It is just like the movie. You know what I mean? It's just so beautiful, and you know, and I, I actually try to turn people on to other parts of Italy too that isn't Tuscany, you know, like like Emilia Romagna, the region right above Tuscany, and that's where my family's from. That's just equally as cool. But, but getting back to Tuscany, Tuscany's just got this charm. And, and, I, and I've been to Italy, I think this will be, in September will be my ninth time in, uh, in 10 years. And most of those have been within the last five years. So I've done a lot of a lot of time over there, and I've done a lot of research, and I cook with chefs, and I've gotten to know winemakers more. Um, in fact, I've gotten to know um, Alberto so well from uh, the vineyard where we're taking our group is that he did my own private label wine for me, which I have. It's a Rosso di Toscana, which is so Sangiovese with a little bit of Cabernet Sauvignon in it, and that that vineyard itself is only about 10 kilometers from Montalcino, where I think some of the best wines in the world come from. So we have, we have a good pedigree of, uh, of the area anyway. So, so yeah, so we're taking, um, 24 people and, um, Alberto has, uh, the vineyard, uh, 99, uh, acres, I think it is. And, uh, and then has two villas, which hold six, which have 16 rooms uh, between the two villas. And uh, we're going to be there for eight nights. So every night we have dinner together on the veranda overlooking the vineyard while the sun sets. And then day trips, we go to Montalcino. We're going to go to Siena. I've got a wine lunch planned on, at Siena uh, at, at the top of uh, like a penthouse where we're overlooking the courtyard in Siena. Oh, and then Siena, yeah. 
Yeah, and then we're going to my friend's vineyard, uh, uh, Conti di San Bonifacio, which is in the Marima uh, area. Um, yeah, so every day we're doing something fun, but we all come back and we um, we have dinner together every night. The chef, uh, Alex, uh, that works for the vineyard is amazing. Um, yeah, this would be our second time we went last year. And then the year before, we actually had lunch there. That's how I met everybody. So, so yeah, but Tuscany's just it's just gorgeous. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. It's just if you haven't been, you, you got to go just to just to feel um, how special it is. It soothes your soul. That's what I say. Just kind of kind of gives your soul and gives it a hug. It's it's that warming and that friendly and that beautiful. First time we ever went to Italy decades ago. Uh, of course, we went to Tuscany, and Siena is just spectacular. Just a wonderful place to go. I've never seen the Palio there. That's one of the thing on my bucket list. But we did go on a day when there were two uh, festivals, and two of the contratas were having uh-huh. uh, were marching in the streets and oh, nice. carrying the flags, wearing the traditional medieval garb. And I, I, I watched him because we were up high up on a balcony and I could see the two uh, processions marching towards each other on perpendicular streets. And I could see that they were going to meet at this intersection. And all I could think about mm-hmm. was that scene in Animal House where <laughs> the marching yeah. band goes down the right. alley. And I'm like, this, this is going to end badly for everybody. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> but that's um, great. getting back to Tuscany, what are some of your favorite dishes when you go to Tuscany? Because it has its own cuisine. Uh, what are some of your favorite dishes in Tuscany? Well, first, I got to tell you that that the paleo, I, I've been wanting to go to that, too. So this year or last year, they did it in October for the first time ever. And we didn't know about it. It was a day we actually arrived. Oh, October, because it's usually July and August. Yeah, August. I know. I know. For some reason, they I, I don't I can't remember. They told me why, but I, I don't remember uh, why, but I was like, but we didn't know it till we were already there. We couldn't get over there, but I know that's, that's on my bucket list for sure. But we don't usually go there in the summer. That's the problem. We go in, uh, either the spring or, or the uh, fall, but, but anyways, uh, Tuscan dishes. Wow. What animal runs rampant in Tuscany? The boar, you know? the boar. That's right. So wild boar, anything is my favorite dish in Tuscany. So you can do uh, wild boar chops on the grill. You can do braised wild boar. You do wild boar bolognese. You could do wild boar tartare. Uh, so those are all kind of like my favorite uh, dishes, uh, it, it, you know, uh, from Tuscany uh, when it comes to wild boar. And also on um, the salad side, you know, panzanella salad. Man, you're there, you know, at the end of summer and those tomatoes are so good and they, and they make that bread salad. That's that's another one of my favorites. And then uh, chicken liver pate, Tuscan chicken liver pate, my uh, my friend uh, the chef makes. And I've actually – he was nice enough to give me his recipe and I make it here for my clients, uh, you know, in America also. When you're at this, at this uh, Tuscan uh, villa, you guys stay for eight nights. You have the meal. And then I've seen video and stuff of you playing guitar afterwards. Mm-hmm. You kind of serenade your guests. And what people should know is that, uh, you know, you're a rock and roll guy, but you kind of play when you're out doing it solo, you kind of play like a, a jazz style guitar. And I love the way that you reinterpret and reinvent the Bad Company songs in this style of music. 
Well, thanks. Thanks. That's a that's a nice compliment. I I try not to do it. Well, for one thing, I can't sing like Paul Rogers, so <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt to try anything that's even close. So, yeah. So my Latin Latin jazzy background came up uh, came through my mom. She always listened to like uh, Jose Feliciano and Sergio Mendez and Herb Albert and Tijuana Brass. And then in between all that, she had like the first couple Beatles albums. So I grew up listening to that style of music. So when I picked up guitar in like 2005, 2006, you know, after putting down my bass, it just automatically came out that way. And now I have five solo CDs out, including Live in Tuscany, uh, which is with my uh, good friend, Alessandro Golini, who is one of the most sought after violinists in all of Italy, who I found by mistake uh, about five years ago. <laughs> and uh, so we've... Uh, you know, it's funny how, you know, making one decision can change your whole life and who you meet and who you know. He's he's amazing. And uh, it's funny because he doesn't speak English at all. And I don't really speak Italian. And uh, but we speak the uh, the the music is our is our language. And uh, so, yeah, I've been I'm really, really proud of in 2006. I didn't have any solo CDs and now I have five, you know, and and they're all my songs, you know. And so, yeah, it's it's been really cool. It's been, a, you know, that was kind of the beginning of my reinvention is when I put down my bass, kind of took that part out of my life, you know, because after Bad Company ended, I had a really hard time finding finding myself and where I needed to be, you know, and what it was, and I didn't know it was to put down my bass, not compare anything I do now to bad company because I don't play bass anymore. So it's, it's a really, it was a really good thing for me to do, even though I didn't know it then. And it's just started, you know, 2007 started my solo career. And then that led into chefing uh, and, and being a sommelier over the last five or six years. It's also kind of freeing in a way, uh, I would imagine. Oh, for sure. Oh, my God. I make all the decisions. It's so cool. When you're a bass player, you have to you have to go by what everybody else wants to do or, or you got to play in a band that needs a bass player or, you know, I mean, you can I mean, there's different instances, of course, if you're a bass player, you can be the leader of the band if you're the lead singer. And but you know what? I, the best move was just for me to do it by myself, you know, and was it all great and all good? I don't know. You know, a lot of people like it. Maybe musicians don't, you know, maybe I don't know. But but for me, it was the beginning of my reinvention, the beginning of me getting back to my the top of my game again. And I, and I got to say, I was it. I was there in bad company and I'm back again uh, doing what I do now, being that I couldn't be any happier. And I love the fact that I get to touch people uh, almost every night, you know, through either their belly, their nose or their ears or their eyes. <laughs> so, those, are, those are all yeah. good places. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Belly, the most important one, of course. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you mentioned your grandmother, uh, being Italian. And I think you said she's from Emilia Romagna. Um, yep. where, uh, do you know the town that she's from in, in she that was region? near Reggio. Okay. Re Reggio. Yep. Reggio. Um, I don't, I can't recall the actual town. Uh, I, I was told that a long time ago and I, and I, I, I don't have that in my vocabulary. Uh, but that region there is, is, is the food rich region of Italy. Even Italians talk about, uh, Emilia Romagna as being the stomach of Italy because, you know, it's balsamic vinegar. I mean, if you're going to get the real deal, it's balsamic vinegar, Parmesan cheese, prosciutto. So now we got the three food groups and then add in bolognese sauce and tortellini. And then one of my favorite wines in the world, Lambrusco, um, you know, Lambrusco Secco Rosso, which means dry Lambrusco, chilled fizzy red which i turn people on to every time i do an event and they look at me like i'm i'm an idiot until they drink it and they go oh my god and they look at me like i'm god they're like this is the coolest wine i've ever had so i have a real affinity for that region in fact our trip 
Next year, we're working on in 2020, we're doing a tall sailing ship in June. Uh, we're doing that from Rome to Sicily. And then we're working on uh, a food and wine trail uh, from Bologna to Barolo. So we'll start in uh, in uh, Emilia-Romagna and we'll end up in Piemonte. I love Bologna. It is so mm. underrated as a place to go. And the food there is amazing. It's The people are wonderful. And mm -hmm. it's just one of my favorite uh, all-time cities. And the great thing is, not a lot of tourists from North America know about it. You know, they right. think it's this yeah. big industrial. It's not. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And like you said, it's it's kind of the stomach of Italy. Yeah. And then you got Parma, which is right down the road. And Parma is absolutely gorgeous. I think that's one of the places that people don't ever go to that they need to go to also. Bologna and Parma are they're they're just they're gems. Uh, Parma is just it's big and uh, big open piazzas everywhere. It's just uh, you know, and then it's prosciutteria they have everywhere. So you walk in and there's prosciutto hanging everywhere. You know, it's like, and you walk into a restaurant, the first thing they give you is a glass of Lambrusco. So I hug everybody when I go in there. Let's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Lambrusco, it's so funny that you bring that up. I I wrote my first novel in it came out in 2015, and I talk about Lambrusco and how it got such a bad rap in the 70s in the United States yeah. because of, you know, the the bad Lambrusco that was imported here. It's overly sweet. It's not, you oh, know, yeah. no one liked it. And that reputation stuck forever in North America. But when people try the real Lambrusco, the yeah. the the not the the dry Lambrusco, like you said, it's a revelation. It really is, you know, and I, and I'm, I, it's a mission in my life is to turn people onto Lambrusco as many people as I can. And, you know, I cooked for over 2000 people last year in home dining, you know, in their homes and 2000 people had Lambrusco. So I know for a fact, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm moving the meter a little bit. In fact, my friend's in the wine business. He goes, I think you've actually increased Lambrusco sales in your area by 900%. Right. You right. Know, <laughs> you know, cause he was, I was actually uh, using one of his Lambruscos before he opened a, a wine shop, but uh, yeah, but it's just a mission. I, I just want people it's, Reuniti is not an example of, of of Lambrusco, you know. I mean, what was their tagline? Reuniti on, on ice. Yeah. That's nice. It should say that's not nice, or <laughs> actually that sucks. But <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, you know yeah. that 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 came out in the seventies. Uh, I know, and I can still remember it. You know, but yeah. I drank it. I drank it. I got to say, I did drink it because I could, <laughs> you know, because I was only 14 or 15. And my grandfather said, you want some reunity? I'm like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, but, but now I look back at it and I giggle because man, it wasn't even close to what it really is, you know, and I've got like three or four producers that I work closely with and use them. And it's just delicious. You know, it's, it's great in the summer. I call it the porch pounder, right? It's that beautiful glass of, uh, of red wine that's chilled and fizzy in the summer on the deck or by the pool. And or during Thanksgiving, it might be my favorite wine during Thanksgiving with the turkey and stuffing and, you know, gravy. I, it just it, what a what a great match. You, you mentioned that it's great for sitting on the porch in the summer. And I agree with you wholeheartedly. It seems like uh, rosé has become that wine mm. today. But yeah. I would much I would love to have a Lambrusco, you know, with with the effervescence in it uh, when I'm sitting on the porch in the summertime. 
No doubt. In fact, one of my producers, uh, Bert Delaney, uh, they do a rosé version too, which is super cool, you know. But I, st- I still like that dark, inky-looking Lambrusco that he just freaks people out when you put it in the glass and they see it fizzing, you know. Yes. <laughs> and, the, and the fizz is like this beautiful lavender fizz too. It's not like it just fizzes, like, but it's like the whole glass is gorgeous. You can tell I'm not passionate about it, am I? Yeah, you kind of <laughs> like this, huh? <laughs> Oh, I love it. I so, love it. so let's 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 uh, talk about cooking now because you mentioned that you cooked for over two thousand people last year. Uh, you take people on these food tours. How did you first get into actually cooking, being a chef? So about two thousand fourteen, um, you know, I was into my music career. You know, I was doing well. I had like three solo CDs out. I was playing a lot. I was doing quite well, and uh, you know, kind of getting my mojo back. I, I love having people over for dinner. I've had. Well, I probably had at least three James Beard nominated chefs over my house for dinner because our area is is chef rich. I mean, we're we're basically a suburb of D.C. Even though we're only two hours away, um, we have some of the best chefs probably per capita in the whole world, our whole country. But I, I love having people over for dinner. You know, that was my thing. And I had a group over, and my friend took me to the side. He goes, "Hey, can you do this for my wife? You know, her, her birthday's next month." And I said, "Oh yeah, sure. How many people?" He said, 10. I said, "Yeah, no problem." And uh, he goes, hey, hey, can you bring your guitar? I'm like, oh, wow, a dinner and a concert. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, and I said, well, now I'm going to have to charge it, right? Because, you know, I'm playing guitar now. So so anyways, I went and did it. It was awesome. I was on our local radio station. They asked me what I did the night before. And I said, yeah, I went to this house at a surprise birthday party for my friend's wife and 10 people. And I played guitar. And the guys on the radio station were going, what? That's That's super cool. So while I was talking about it, the owner of the station heard me and had his wife call me and hired me uh, three weeks later to do a dinner for 10 people at their house. And uh, and that's how it all spawned, just from those two events and then and then the word of mouth. And, you know, it's there's there's a there's a um, entrepreneurial um, a marketing guy uh, named Seth Godin. And it, it, a while back, I, I get an email from him. I get him, you know, I'm on his email list. He said, uh, be remarkable at what you do and you'll be successful. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. But then it goes, what I mean is be so good and have such a unique product that people remark about it because there is no better marketing than being remarkable, you know, and, and the combination of everything that I have, you know, with, with the wine and the food and the music, you know, it spawns that and people love to talk about it. You know, I mean, I get some of the most amazing reviews. I almost get a tear in my eye sometimes. I'm like, God, I didn't know I affected them that much, you know? But it's it's heartfelt, and I've got something really unique, and they can't wait to tell their friends about it. You know. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you get a real world class professional chef, a sommelier who can uh, match the wine to this wonderful food, and have music at the end? And by the way, it's all the same guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then I have, of course, the backstories for Bad Company. They love hearing about it. They'll come in the kitchen when I'm whipping up the appetizers, right? And they're like, so what was it like? And who did you meet? And, you know, so I have, you know, all that. And then I know the backstories to the wines because I barely ever use a wine from Italy that I haven't been to the vineyard. So so I know the producers. I know the product. I know the method. I know the beauty of the vineyard. I can really let them know that. And in some events I do, you know, when they're a little bit bigger, I bring a, 
you know, uh, a, a big screen TV and I show pictures of my visits and, and that sort of stuff too. And I think they walk away after that going, we knew this was going to be cool, but we didn't maybe know it was going to be so informative also, you know, where, where I'm really using dishes from either my grandmother or from Italy and then wines paired with it. You know, I think they really are blown away by the knowledge. And, you know, I tell people all this all the time and everybody giggles, you know, I know enough to be dangerous about all three things guitar, you know, chefing and wine, but that means I know more than most people. So, so I actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You, you mentioned your grandmother's recipes and if your Italian grandmother is anything like the Italian grandmothers that I know, nothing was written down. And I had to figure the actual, <laughs> the actual ingredient, you know, the measuring part of the ingredients out myself. But, but that's just something that came with me cooking anyways. You know, I mean, I knew what my, my, my grandma Talia Farrow did in her fast sauce, you know, so I just figured it out myself. And then when I tasted it, I went, Oh, okay, that's it. You know, uh, or cabbage salad, or, you know, of course, Italians, you know, back then or, were known to go out and pick dandelions when they were young and fresh and uh, make a dandelion salad. So yes. that's the other thing I turn people on to. I call it the new kale. Uh, so dandelion pretty much has the same amount of nutrients in it, actually, but it actually tastes better. It actually tastes good. Um, you don't have to deep fry it or, <laughs> you, could, you know, it actually, it's a good salad. It's a bitter salad, you know, and when you get them younger, um, there's more farmers growing them now too. So I'm getting like some of the best, my hydroponics guy is going to grow them for me this year. So between dandelions and Lambrusco, I'm trying to turn everybody <laughs> on to all this stuff. But, but no, my, my grandmother would go out and grab dandelions and my mom would get them, you know, when I, you know, after, you know, my mom, I live in with my mom and, um, yeah, make a salad, you know, a squeeze of lemon extra virgin olive oil, uh, maybe a shallot, and you got a dandelion salad, and it was awesome. And that's all you need, really. That's what I do, yep. So I, my hydroponics guy, I did a, a simple uh, salad for uh, my group. He's got the most amazing romaine. He brings them over. He just pulled them out of the water. I take them to the event. I, I tear them up with my hands, and I make a, a simple vinaigrette with lemon juice, uh, Parmesan cheese, and extra virgin olive oil, and then, of course, salt and pepper. And... Because the olive oil is the best and the lettuce is the best. And I always get 24 month, at least 24 month old Parmesan. Um, you know, everything is the best. And they're all looking at me like I'm God. I'm like, no, not really. I just got the best products. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I found the best ingredients, man. If you're only going to do four ingredients, they better be really good. Yeah. Right. There's no, nowhere so. to hide, man. There's nowhere there is to hide. No, no, no. What What was your favorite dish your grandmother used to cook? Well, I guess, um, geez, she did so many great ones. She did uh, tripe. You know, she would cook uh, tripe in the red sauce. Uh, and, of course, when I found out it was cow stomach, that's when I didn't like it. But before <laughs> then, I really liked it. Now, and now I get it. My friend uh, Jeff, uh, uh, Chef Jeff up in uh, Philadelphia at Osteria, he has a tripe, he has tripe on, on his menu. So I get it whenever I'm there. She used to do – now, her, her regular sauces were amazing. You know, she did her Sunday, Sunday sauce with, with uh, you know, beef ribs and, and uh, pork and, and whatever was left over in the fridge, basically. And then she'd make meatballs and then make fresh pasta, and, which I have the pasta machine too, which is super cool. Um, but, but, you know, one of the things that she did that I, um, I tried last year and I can't wait to try it again this year is she pickled eggplant. Now, what she did is sliced it paper thin, got the water out of it, and then she would take a mixture, like a pesto of fresh oregano, garlic, olive oil, and hot pepper flakes. And she would layer the uh, eggplant, slice it real thin, layer it with, uh, you know, the that mixture, and then and then jar it. And then after like six months, 
that was one of the, my favorite things I've ever had in my life. I and I and I just remembered it again just because I did it last year and taking some crusty Italian bread and taking that eggplant out of the jar with all that olive oil and yes. and oregano and then putting that on the bread and just go. Oh my God. Anybody I turned that onto last year were looking at me again, like I was God. <laughs> I said, no, it was my grandmother, not me. It yeah, sounds but, spectacular. Uh, that was one of my favorite things. So we're working on, I have a new commercial kitchen within the last year. We're working on our own products. We already make our own sausages. We have three different uh, styles of Italian sausage and we're going to start canning and jarring this year. And I'm hoping to, uh, to replicate that uh, recipe. Of course, I don't have the recipe, right. <laughs> so I, I do whatever I can uh, to get it as close as my grandmother and my mom did, and uh, and then and then put you know Paul's rock and eggplant. That's that's what we're going to call it, Paul's rock and eggplant. Fantastic. You you mentioned yeah. your your kitchen. Um, you also host uh, classes and special events there. Tell me about your Sunday market at your kitchen and some of the other things, events that you do there. Yeah, this is super cool. So I, I've been looking for a place to, you know, take my uh, my prepping out of my house, uh, you know, because my wife was not having fun cleaning up after me, uh, <laughs> especially when I had to cook for 50 people. So it was kind of the next evolution was to find a kitchen, you know, and I looked all around and. You know, I have a friend who's a business mentor and we looked around and we just couldn't find the right place. And then one day I just stumbled around this place that zone, the kitchen is only 300 square feet. So it has a full kitchen in it. And, uh, and then also, uh, uh, we have two tables or two six foot tables and they're, they're chopping block tables and we can move them around for whatever we need to, but we can put them together for 12 people. So it's a true chef's table kitchen in my kitchen. <laughs> so, yeah, so I turn around and you're right there. Like I'm, I'm cooking on the eight top burner uh, stove and I turn around and I just pass my plates right down. I played it and pass it right to you. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah, so that's super cool. And then we have a little patio outside. It's a little bit bigger than uh, uh, the kitchen itself. I think it's like 400 square foot. We got a tent over it. We got it fenced in. Uh, I got some stuff. I got two grills out there. So um, this summer, we're really looking forward to to rocking it out there. And uh, so we do special events, some cooking classes, demos. We're going to do some wine education coming up. But then we started doing, uh, during the holidays, we did uh, markets. And we don't have much stuff, right? We have some spreads and pestos and sausage. And, you know, I get this amazing bread from Italy and uh, that they, they, they make, bake, and free, freeze and then send over. And then uh, these uh, tomatoes from Emilia Romagna called Muti tomatoes. So the, what I have is really good. I just don't have a lot. So we're building on that. But we're getting we're getting a lot of people coming by going, this is the coolest thing I've ever been because I'm cooking up samples, right? Because that's the best way to sell something. So then I'm having special guests. I had a, our friend uh, Sonia does pottery. She came last Sunday and and then she sit out in the courtyard and sold her pottery. And then in a couple of weeks, I have my, my friend who owns a bake shop. She's bringing desserts. And her daughter happens to sing, and she's going to sing. <laughs> so it's all like, uh, uh, yeah, it's all kind of organic the way it's happened. Again, just like my, you know, in-home dining business, it's just falling together really well. And I think this summer is going to be just way too much fun. It's, uh, sounds like a great way to spend a Sunday these days. Yeah. You're uh, you're in Delaware. This is where your home Correct. is, and yep. uh, you mentioned all of the great chefs that are in the Rehoboth Beach Lewis area. And I don't think a lot of people realize this, that Rehoboth Beach Lewis is a incredible foodie hotbed. Talk about some of your favorite places in, in this area. For sure. I mean, you know, people ask me, what's my favorite place? I'm like, well, what do you want to eat? Because it's, it's all over the board. You know, we have some of the most amazing seafood places. 
uh, Henlopen City Oyster House. Uh, you know, they're just they're known for their oysters and their seafood. It's amazing. And then uh, and then two restaurants that are James Beard uh, with James Beard nominated chefs. Uh, Hari Cameron owns Amuse. And that's in Rehoboth. And then recently, uh, Chef Matt Kern got a uh, got a nod from James Beard, and uh, he is the chef at Heirloom, which is in Lewis. Um, and, and then, of, of course, as you, as you probably know, uh, is uh, Dogfish Head uh, Beer. Yes. Um, Crap Brewery is from this area. It's from Rehoboth Beach. Their brewery's in Milton, which is 20 minutes away. I've, I've cooked for Sam and Mariah, the owners, several times. And uh, and they actually have a, a couple beers with wine infused – or their wine-infused beers. One's called 61 Minute. Yes. Uh, infused with red wine, which is delicious. And then there's a white wine called uh, Mixed Media, where they used uh, Viognier wine. So that's cool too. So he was actually one James Beard last year. Finally, he was the Susan Lucci of uh, of James Beard. Uh, he's been nominated like seven times, and he finally won last year and well noted. And and then uh, sadly, um, you know, we had a, uh, a restaurateur Matt Haley uh, was a friend of mine. Also, uh, he uh, won for lifetime achievement uh, as far as. Um, the money he's raised uh, for charities uh, having to do with uh, kids and cooking and all that. And uh, he sadly passed away a couple years ago in a motorcycle accident. But, uh, wow. but yeah, it was, it's a hotbed for – and people – I mean if I was a chef and I was like living, I don't know, in – I don't know, somewhere in Iowa, you know, and somebody said, hey, you want to come to Rehoboth Beach and cook? I would come here. <laughs> you know? Definitely. Nothing against Iowa, but we have a beautiful area. And, and, you know, I don't know if you know, but our – Rehoboth Beach is called the nation's summer capital because we're two hours – on a good day from uh, Washington, D.C. Of course, not a Friday because <laughs> everybody's coming this way, going over the Bay Bridge. Uh, but <clears throat> we have we have the disposable income to support uh, fine dining in our in our region. And uh, and that's been huge. And that's why we that's why it is what it is here. My girlfriend and I went to Rehoboth Beach in Lewis probably 20 plus years ago. And love, we went down with the explicit goal of going to the Dogfish Head Brewery. Now, this was their old right. brewery. They've since moved, I believe. Um, sure, yeah. So you went downtown Rehoboth is where, where it originally was. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we also went to their uh, restaurant, which yep. is, is that still around? I'm sure it is. It's no, So they just tore that down last year and they rebuilt it. And it's absolutely gorgeous. That place was falling apart. So if you were there 20 years ago, it was another 10 or 15 years older than that. So and they did a beautiful job and they added a uh, a restaurant right next door also. So they have the brew pub and then they have a restaurant called Chesapeake and Maine, which is all about seafood also. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it's really nice. And then back then there was uh, the Back Porch Cafe was here because they are this will be their 45th year in business. And uh, that's our iconic restaurant. If somebody said to me, Paul, I'm coming to Rehoboth. I can only eat at one place. Where should I go? I say the Back Porch Cafe. It's on the beach block. And they've been doing 45 years of farm to table and they were doing farm to table before it was cool. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they put, they put farmers into business because they needed cucumbers and they needed this and they needed that. Uh, and they were way, way ahead of their game. And it's still one of our favorite places to, uh, to go. In fact, they reopened, uh, May 3rd. They, they're one of the few restaurants that shuts down in the winter because, uh, more and more people live here or they come here for the weekend than ever before. And, you know, it's funny because, uh, you talk about these great producers and I always say, people say that the chefs are the new rock stars. I say the producers are the new rock stars, because if you can find a guy who really knows what they're growing and really knows how to to grow the right kind of stuff and can do it in a uh, sustainable way, you want to latch onto this guy like uh, like there's no tomorrow. 
Oh, no doubt. And they're here, man. I mean, we have some, you know, we do have a winter here. So we do, you know, it falls off in the wintertime, except for the root vegetables, you know. But, man, when asparagus is about to come up, ramps are up, uh, you know. And then my guy who's, you know, does the hydroponic stuff. Oh, my God, that stuff is, it's the best basil I've ever had because it is tender and it's not pungent. It's super cool. Then we have all these farms that do all this cool stuff, including, of course, you know, when, you know, corn comes up for the first one. You could get your first year of corn. That's like, you know, that's like heaven in itself. So before I let you go, Paul, yeah. uh, tell people if they want you to be a personal chef for them, if they want, mm -hmm. if they want to get your CD, if they want to go to Tuscany with you, if they want to sail from Rome to Sicily with you, where can they find you? You know, it's, uh, I, I got fortunate, you know, I couldn't get paulcullen.com because some guy had it from uh, England. Um, but I was looking for another URL one day and I saw dot rocks, R O C K S. <laughs> so it's not dot com, it's not dot net, it's not dot org, it's dot rocks. So it's my name, Paul Cullen, dot rocks. How perfect, how perfect is that? Yeah. I mean, uh -huh. You couldn't ask for better. I couldn't pay for it fast enough, right? So it's all there. And, uh, you know, as far as in-home dining, you know, I I do events all over the world. I, I This uh, January, um, they flew me to Costa Rica, and I cooked for 26 people at a private party in Costa Rica on, on the beach. And uh, that was just happened to be Anderson Windows. Uh, they flew me down there. So as far as where I go, I go anywhere. You know, I was in last year. I was in San Jose, Nashville, Asheville, Chicago, um, and then all over the Mid Atlantic, of course. You know, I'm I'm within three hours of uh, was it 30 million people. You know, so I cook in D.C., Northern Virginia, uh, Northern uh, Northern and Southern Jersey, Southern Pennsylvania. You know, wherever, pretty much. I don't. I shouldn't name them all because I'll go wherever I get paid, <laughs> long as long as I can fit it in the schedule. Paul Cullen, uh, sommelier, chef, rock star. Thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Sounds great, Dan. Thanks, Brent, for having me, and hopefully we'll see you uh, soon, maybe when you're on the East Coast. I tell you, Paul's got some great stories. I just love the picture he paints of trying that bottle of Chateauneuf de Pop for the first time on the tour bus. If you have a question or comment about Destination Eat Drink, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Destination Eat Drink, on Twitter at Eat Destination or by clicking the contact tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Destination Eat Drink. Big thanks to Rodney Stevens for his help in producing the podcast this week. We drop a new episode each and every Friday, and next week we're in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park talking mushroom foraging and moonshine. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. And I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. 